And now, ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelts. Welcome to PreneurCast. Yeah, business cards being swapped, beers being drunk. Can I say a nasty word? Can I say procrastination? With Pete Williams and Don Gosher. How well did that go down? We can talk about that entire thing in a very another rant and soapbox episode if we want to. Visit us online at PreneurMarketing.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of PreneurCast with me, Don Goucher, and him, Pete Williams. How are you, sir? How are you? I am much better after a, a little bit of a relapse of the old uh, cough and other vague illnesses that just didn't seem to want to go. I'm back and uh, possibly fighting fit, but uh, I'll definitely say I'm, I'm back. Fantastic. How about you, sir? Uh, busy, busy. The eHero Project, which I know I've mentioned uh, loosely on some noise reduction newsletters and things like that is uh, kicking off, which is good. So it's a, a fun little side project to, to add to the list. And uh, yeah, lots of uh, things happening over at eherosports.com.au for those who want to check it out and playing along at home. And those of you who are cyclists might want to check it out as well. Uh, and of course, folks, this is, uh, this is Pete doing his uh, real world entrepreneur thing, which is a great segue. You'll be pleased to know, Pete. I'm back on form that I'm doing awesome segues, uh, to our topic for the show this week, which is a conversation between Pete and Michael Gerber, mm. the author of the e-myth. We'll come back to that in a minute, but, um, yeah, this is the, the Ear Hero project is very, very interesting. Do pop over and have a look. We'll put the link in the show notes, uh, see what Pete's up to. That's pretty cool. A uh, good thing to kind of watch and learn, as we like to do. Um, so, since we're all back on form, I suppose the next thing to ask Pete is uh, book of the week. What you been listening to? Yeah, well, I've sort of uh, jumped on the uh, the bandwagon with everybody else, and have uh, got a copy of Tony Robbins' new book, Money Master the Game. If you've sort of uh, been anywhere in the sort of the business or entrepreneurial space online in the last sort of couple of weeks, you've probably seen Tony's big hands and big smiling teeth everywhere. Uh, he's been on pretty much every major podcast except for ours and on pretty much every business website and email list and really done a great launch. It's his first book in 20 years, so obviously he's been able to pull in a lot of favours, so to speak. Uh, the book's interesting. It's his take on um, personal finance. The, the The story behind the book is that he sat down with 50 of the world's greatest investors and got to understand their secrets and have put it together in this book called Money Master the Game. And the, the audio version is about 21 hours long, about halfway through it. Uh, it's interesting. Not what I expected, but it's, uh, it's interesting. Cool, cool. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll wait till you've finished and maybe we'll have another wrap-up if there's any key parts out of that. But folks, if you want to listen along, as usual, you know that Pete and I both listen to, um, to audio books as a way to just uh, use up that extra time. Um, make the most of our time, whatever we're doing. Me, I tend to do it when I'm washing the dishes, and Pete tends to do it when, when he's doing far more sporting activities. Um, but you can uh, join along, especially with this one and lots of other the books that we talk about by by uh, using the service we use, which is Audible. Um, now, PreneurCast listeners can get a deal. If you're not already an Audible member, you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash preneurcast link in the show notes um, and if you sign up through that link you can get a free book or free audiobook as you, when you join up with audible so you can try the service out see if you like it um, so that's why we tend to talk about our book of the week um, in conjunction with audible because we get ours from audible and uh, we recommend you do too so that's tony robbins mass money master the game was that pete that is correct so let's move to the main segment of the show this week. It's a conversation that I've actually been waiting for for a long time since you actually said that you'd uh, you'd got a connection with Michael Gerber. Now, actually, Michael makes a joke about this right at the beginning of the, of the chat um, because if you are are actually a listener of Preneurcast and you've listened to, I don't know, I'd say what, what an average of ten shows. Uh, or more of the Preneurcast, certainly if you're a long-time Preneurcast listener, then then you must have heard us talking about Michael Gerber and his world-famous book, The E-Myth. Mm. Um, it's been around for for almost for the longest time. It's one of the first books of its kind I ever read. Uh, I talk about it all the time um, because it contains some really, really core premises to what we believe in here on Preneurcast about building a sustainable business, being an entrepreneur, um, and living living that lifestyle that we're, kind of, we're all after. Mm. Um, so I was quite excited when uh, when you said you were going to talk to Michael Pete. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's a very, very smart guy. He's done some amazing things. And in the conversation, we actually talk, you know, obviously about the e-myth and the, the premise of the book and everything. But the thing that I was really interested to find out was how he got started. Like, how did he actually stumble into the world of what became the e-myth? And he kind of covers that very openly, which is very interesting to sort of hear about his own entrepreneurial journey and then the book and obviously what he's up to now with uh, a, a thing called The Dreaming Room, which is uh, very interesting. Yeah, definitely listen out for that, folks, because bear in mind, you know, the EMIS has been around since way, way before things like, you know, the internet um, <laughs> and, and all those really, really handy things that we now take for granted when we want to, you know, become famous and promote things and start new businesses and all the rest of it. So his story was quite interesting. Uh, do listen out for that and definitely about his, uh, this new project he's working on called the, the Dreaming Room. So let's hand over quickly to Pete and Michael Gerber. So, Michael, inevitably, with the size of our audience, I guess there's going to be some people who are unfortunately not familiar with the e-myth and, and the whole concept. Can you sort of, I guess, start us off with a bit of background uh, about the e-myth? Pete, how is that possible? I know, I that agree. anybody on this call would not know Michael Gerber or the e-myth. It's just incomprehensible <laughs> to me that after all these years, anybody who knows anything about business or wants to would be a stranger to the e-myth. But assuming that you know maybe a handful of people like that, just real oddballs <laughs> who um, are completely um, out to lunch, uh, let me share let me share with them um, what the e-myth is and why we did it and what happened. So the e-myth is the entrepreneurial myth. And it essentially says that people who go into business aren't the entrepreneurs everybody believes them to be, but exactly the opposite. In fact, most people are instead what I've come to call technicians suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure. And that means they have the desire to do what they know how to do for themselves rather than for somebody else. So they want to become their own boss. So I would imagine that the vast majority of people who are listening to us right now set out to become their own boss. And now, um, if the e-myth is true and it's proven itself out over some 40 years of work that we've done with um, literally um, tens upon tens of thousands of small business owners and millions of small business owner readers of my books. Um, if they're like anybody else that I've met, um, they're working for a lunatic. <laughs> so we go to work for ourselves and we're working for a lunatic. And uh, we do exactly the opposite of what an entrepreneur truly must do, and that is um, in accordance with the e-myth lexicon and mindset, um, they must do what great entrepreneurs do, and that is to go to work on their companies rather than in their companies to create a company that um, is independent of them. So the owner has got to become not the chief producer but in fact, the beneficiary um, of a system that they've invented that enables them to scale their company exponentially. So the whole logic of the e-myth is about scalability. And essentially, it says that anybody who starts a company has to start their company like Ray Kroc did mm. McDonald's. And that means rather than going to work in McDonald's, he went to work on McDonald's to build the perfect business system that was scalable so they could create the, oh, 38,000 McDonald's hamburger stands that operate, um, you might say, preferentially, uniquely around the world. Mm. So that's the work we've been doing. Yeah, and I, I work. Absolutely. And I think... It's fantastic. I think hopefully everyone has heard many, many times the the mantra that, you know, work on your business, not in the business. And I'm sure a few people didn't actually associate that to the e-myth and, and obviously what you've been doing since I think it was like the, the mid-70s. And 
I'd love to actually, you know, I've heard a bit of the, the Bob and Ace story about how this all started for you. Do you, do you mind sharing that story to give a bit of context about how you kind of stumbled into this this world of, of you know, being a, a, what is it that Inc. Magazine said, the world's number one small business guru? Well, it was like everything I've ever done and believe an accident. <laughs> um, I didn't set out because I was driven by some great entrepreneurial passion um, in fact, I I doubt that I had a great entrepreneurial passion when this all came to me. Uh, I'd done just about everything. I'd been a saxophone player. I'd been a um, encyclopedia salesman. I sold insurance. I became a framer of houses. Um, I was a beatnik. I was a hippie. I was a poet, I was a philosopher, I did just about <laughs> everything and anything that anybody um, crazed would um, be expected to do. And then one day, following this framing experiment of mine, where I had gone to Southern California to learn how to build a house, and learned it, and mastered the exercise of framing a house, I then set off to extreme northern California to become a contractor. I was going to actually, now that I'd learned how to do it, I was going to become a framing contractor and create a whole new life. And I stopped over um, to spend a little bit of time with my brother-in-law and my sister in Belmont, California. My brother-in-law owned a small advertising agency specializing um, in serving high-tech startups. And he came to me one day, um, not shortly before I was about to leave, and simply said, hey, Michael, do me a favor. I've got a client who's having great difficulty converting the leads we create through the advertising we do for them um, into sales. Would you come and meet Bob and see what's missing in this picture? And I said, hey, so I don't know anything about business, and I don't know anything about high-tech so what in the world could I possibly do? And he said, well, just trust me. You know more than you think you do. And I just think um, your influence would really be of interest to Bob, even though he doesn't know you or know anything about you. And so I agreed to do that. And I went to Bob's business with Ace. And Ace, my brother-in-law, said to Bob and me, hey, Bob, this is Michael. Michael, this is Bob. And he said, look, guys, I'm going to take off. I'll come back in about an hour. Why don't you get to know each other? Let's see what happens. <laughs> and Ace takes off. So Bob says to me, so, Michael, what do you know about my business? And I said, nothing, Bob. Looks a little disgruntled. And he said, well, if you don't know anything about my business, what do you know about our products and our customers? And I said, less than that, Bob. So Bob looks at me really bewildered. So if you don't know anything about my business, you don't know anything about my customers, and you don't know anything about my product, um, how can you help me? And I said, Bob, I haven't a clue, but Ace thought I could. <laughs> you know Ace. I know Ace. So we've got an hour to kill. Let's find out. That's exactly what we did. I started with two assumptions. First, I don't know anything about business because I knew I didn't. And two, uh, my assumption was that Bob did because he owned one. So I started to ask Bob questions. And the more questions I asked, the more my assumptions began to change. First of all, I knew I did know something about business, and that is that selling is a system. So I learned that. Learning how to play the saxophone, I'd learned that. Learning how to sell encyclopedias, I'd learned that. Learning how to frame a house, everything's a system. Hmm. But what was astonishing to me is that Bob didn't know that. And the more I asked and the more I found out, I realized that Bob didn't know that selling is a system, and he didn't know, therefore, why he wasn't converting the leads he was getting, because he believed that what he needed as salespeople were sales engineers, meaning guys who really understood the product and the market, and um, therefore knew how to sell. Mm. But of course, I discovered that they didn't, 
And of course, he discovered that they didn't either. He just didn't understand why. So he said, Bob, the problem is you don't have a system. He said, what's a system for selling? I said, a system for selling is a scripted process through which your people do the replicable each and every time. He said, well, nobody's ever said that to me before. I said, well, I don't know why. It's so obvious. <laughs> and he said, well, do you know how to do that? I said, of course. He said, would you do that for me? I said, sure. So he comes, picks me up, and he said, so what happened? I said, Bob just hired me. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? Bob just hired you. I said, Bob just hired me as his sales consultant. He said, what are you out of your mind? You don't know anything about his business. You don't know anything about his products. I said, hey, that's what I told you before we got here. But it's obvious to me what Bob needs, and I know how to do it. So that was my first, you might say, launch of the E-Myth. Mm. I didn't call it that. I just called it going to work on Bob's selling system rather than in Bob's selling system to invent a true system that I could teach to a kid to sell Bob's products. And that's exactly what I did. It's amazing. But then I didn't only do it for Bob. I did it for Mary. I did it for Judy. I did it for Jerry. I did it for different kinds of companies. Each and every company that Ace had as a client, and Ace began to discover something that he didn't realize when he'd created his advertising agency, that he wasn't in the advertising business. Nobody really wanted advertising. What did they want? What they wanted was customers. What they wanted was clients. But in fact, they didn't even want customers or clients. They wanted cash flow. Mm. And what they really wanted wasn't cash flow. What they really wanted was become their own boss so they could be independent of all the constraints that existed for them and so forth and so forth and so forth. And as I began to find that out, I found out and discovered that most of the small business owners that I called on had exactly the same problem. It's like I say, that it's as, as though they walked into a store and bought a jigsaw puzzle, opened a business poured out all the pieces of the box onto the floor and then threw away the cover of the box. They had no idea of what the end game was. They couldn't see the picture of mm. what their business was to look like when it was done. And because they couldn't see the picture, they couldn't recreate it. Mm. And I guess, you know, my job was to do that. Yeah, this is the thing. Absolutely. I think it was an amazing kind of story and huge insights there that, uh, I'm intrigued that that sort of take you years to kind of be really clear on to sort of understand that they weren't after advertising, they weren't after sales, they weren't after cash flow, they're after a business. Like how quickly do you sort of stumble onto that sort of framework and vision that obviously became the E-Myth nine years later in the book? Well, it, it actually happened very, very quickly. Um, I was only doing that with Ace for uh, a little over a year. Um, before it became obvious to me that Ace didn't want to do this. <laughs> Ace didn't want to apply this to his business. Ace didn't even believe the model was something he wanted to pursue. So I said, I'm just going to go out and do it myself. And Ace and my sister brought in somebody to replace me um, to do what I had learned how to do, but to do it in a way that was more comfortable for them. And the guy who I began to train to do what I was doing asked me, as I was getting ready to leave, where are you going? I told him I'm going to create a new business. He said, what's the business? I said, to do what I'm talking to you about. He said, hell, I want to go with you. <laughs> and that was Thomas. And we then went and created the Michael Thomas Corporation. And we then started to build the Michael Thomas Business Development Program. And it all started with that. Fantastic. So it uh, leads me on to two questions. Uh, one is, how was Thanksgiving and Christmases for the next few years with Ace and your sister after you sort of exploded and, and he kept selling advertising? <laughs> well, actually, they ultimately shut down the business. Yep. Yep, they yeah. ultimately shut down the business. And um, that, for any 
you know, a host of reasons. So, but Ace became enormously successful at what he is brilliant at doing. Um, he's a brilliant creator and um, um, brilliant writer and um, um, brilliant technician, and um, did just extremely, extremely, extremely well awesome. for himself, Fantastic. and still is. Brilliant. The, the other question I had actually was from um, someone in our community, AJ Kultunga. Hopefully I pronounced your name right, AJ. He actually sent a message in the other day and said, um, what challenges did you actually face bringing the e-myth framework to mainstream business? And I thought it's a perfect time to answer that or at least ask that because you're talking about that even as A saw you succeeding with his clients, he didn't want to apply it to his business and, and be involved in that. So if someone so close couldn't see this originally, how did you go – as you sort of, you know, spent those next years, next few years with the Michael Thomas Corporation and obviously with the book? Well, it, actually, the book came seven years after, um, actually, not seven, eight, nine years following the founding of what we call the Michael Thomas Corporation. And um, we just simply started to go to work on the Michael Thomas Business Development Program. Um, Ace, not Ace, Tom and I both worked on the, building the program. His primary focus was that. And I went down the street knocking on doors. I'm literally going down the street knocking on doors and calling on small business owners cold and um, began to tell the story, began to tell the story that was beginning to emerge um, that was the story that essentially um, became the McDonald's story. And essentially, I would knock on doors and tell the story, knock on doors and tell the story, knock on doors and tell the story. You understand nobody knocks on doors. Um, today, nobody, period, knocks on doors. Mm-hmm. But even then, nobody knocked on doors. Um, but my experience knocking on doors, uh, selling encyclopedias, mm-hmm led me to know and to believe that that was exactly what needed to be done. Nobody else was doing it. I needed to call on small business owners and eventually invite them to a free seminar. Mm-hmm. And that free seminar was called Key Frustrations in a Small and Growing Business and What to Do About Them. Nice, to the point. And um, I wrote a script down the street, invited them to a seminar, did the seminar myself, wrote the script for the seminar, improved the script for the seminar, continually discovering the kinds of resistance that you discover in anybody who doesn't understand what in the world you're talking about. Um, The problem was I was doing something that nobody had yet done before. Mm. And in the end product of what we did was to build the very first um, business coaching company not consulting firm, we called it a consulting firm, but it was really a coaching firm because it was unlike any consulting company on the face of the earth because we built a turnkey system that we were going to teach to the people we were going to hire who were going to be relative novices in business, not experts in business. Exactly the opposite of what a consulting firm would do. They would hire expert consultants in management and marketing and finance and whatever, we would hire novices and we would then train them in how to utilize our expert business development system, which ultimately became the first of its kind. And it was took us a number of years to build it. It's, it's really impressive because I think, you know, as you said, the, the hard yards and knocking on the doors, having that thick skin build up in your previous um, life as an encyclopedia salesman obviously gets the ball rolling. But I think a lot of people would say, well, hang on. At the start there, you're obviously you're knocking on doors. You're working in that business. But clearly you had that goal to, I'm building the system from day one. I'm going to practice what I preach. I'm going to build the system. Is that a fair assumption that from day one you're like, okay, I have to work in the business as a technician, but I'm very, very clear about where this is going in the system I'm building? Oh, absolutely. And and you have to understand that I had no desire to be a business consultant. I had no desire to be a business, in quotes, coach. Um, so from the very get-go, from the very beginning, um, the, the inspiration that came to me 
walking into McDonald's between one client and another client, I walked out of McDonald's realizing that I could do that myself. I could do exactly what Ray Kroc did. I could actually do what um, I saw going on in McDonald's. I could do that in my own, in quotes, consulting business. Mm-hmm. So our dream at the very beginning of the Michael Thomas Corporation was to transform the state of small business worldwide. We wrote that down. We had it on the walls. We set it everywhere. Our vision was to invent the McDonald's of small business consulting. In other words, I wanted to put an intelligent system into the hands of kids and enable them to deliver that system to any small business on the face of this earth. didn't matter what kind of business it was. And so we set about to invent that system. So we had a dream, we had a vision, we had a purpose, and the purpose was that everybody gets to succeed in a business of their own, and we had a mission, and the mission was to invent the system that we could then hand off to relative novices who would become our, in quotes, e-myth later, at first, Michael Thomas consultants, Mm and apply that to any business on the face of this earth. And that's what we did. Fantastic. So, yes, we had to work in it while we're working on it. Work in it while you're working on it. Yeah. If we weren't working in it, we wouldn't be able to know whether what we created was real <laughs> or just a figment of our imagination. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a big struggle, which obviously, you know, what the e-myth and, and all your subsequent work has been about is sort of getting those three distinctions clear for small business owners, the entrepreneur, the technician, and the manager. Like, how, how does someone go, if, you know, because you're obviously wearing all those three hats from, from day one, um, more so that technician hat. How does someone actually start to transition away from being the technician in a business if they've been operating as a, a mechanic or a carpet cleaner or an accountant for the last 10, 15 years as that technician, as the person that, that's named on the building, the person that the customer wants to call, how do they start transitioning themselves away from being that, that go-to technician in, the, in a business? Well, first of all, you have to understand that the one who started the Michael Thomas Corporation, I, Tom, the one who started that was an entrepreneur, not a technician. So the vision the picture, um, the, the, the dream, the vision, the, the purpose, the mission, that was all entrepreneurial. I had a picture of being able to do this worldwide for every small business on the face of this earth. Um, whether you realize this or not, there are, by count, just over 400 million registered small businesses worldwide. Now think about that. 400 million small businesses worldwide. But that includes an immense number of sole proprietors. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever, um, the world is a huge pool of small businesses. But when you look at the failure rate of those small businesses, it's just staggering mm. that 80 to 90% of all those companies will fail. Now, you know, I, I use those numbers. I tell those numbers. Everybody who talks about small business talks about those numbers. But when you think about the tragedy of that, you begin to understand what an extraordinary opportunity this was that essentially Ace introduced me to a new world that I had never thought about, never was interested in. But as I became interested in that world, I discovered the tragedy of that world. It told me, the entrepreneur within me, that there was a significant opportunity that no one had solved yet. No one had solved the problem of this extraordinary failure rate of small business. And so we set out to do just that. And so it was an entrepreneurially driven opportunity, the Michael Thomas Corporation. Now, somebody had to go to work doing that. And, of course, Tom and I went to work doing that. So we were doing two things, working in it. I was making calls. I was closing sales. I was then 
becoming the coach, the consultant, as Tom was. Um, we were both then, at the end of the day, working on what we had begun to do with a client and turn it into a orchestrated system for doing that. So we were not only solving a client's problem, but at the same time, we're creating a system to solve all other clients' problems. And in the process of doing that, we were building a method and a story that effectively would enable us to um, do this for anybody, anywhere, any time, no matter what their experience, no matter what their product, no matter what their service, no matter what the condition of their business was, no matter what they knew or what they didn't know, and apply it and apply it and apply it and apply it, and then replace ourselves with other people to do the very same thing, to sell it, to deliver it, to sell it, to deliver it, and ultimately to continually improve upon the standardized system that we built over and over and over and over and over again. So it was continuously being improved. Awesome. It, it, and it has been such a big movement. I think you've, do you feel like you've come pretty close to reaching the goal of uh, transforming the world of small business? Well, yes and no. Um, yeah, we've done this for tens of thousands of companies. Um, and millions of people have read my books. And yes, we've had a profound impact, but still, no, we haven't, in quotes, transformed the state of small business worldwide. Um, and we're just absolutely determined to do that. Now, I say we. Tom is long gone. Um, he passed. But we um, separated um, when... Um, uh, untoward things occurred in our company, the Michael Thomas Corporation. And so I converted the Michael Thomas Corporation into Gerber Business Development Corporation. And then when my book came out, I converted Gerber Business Development Corporation into um, the E-Myth Academy. And then as the book took off worldwide, the E-Myth Academy into E-Myth Worldwide, and now um, Michael E. Gerber Companies and the work that we're doing today. So, yes, it's been continuously improved. Yes, we're continually creating new ways of delivering this. And most important, I've left the business of fixing broken businesses, which is the primary focus of EMIT worldwide, but um, and have gone into um, creating um, businesses that don't break. Mm. And um, that's with a program we've developed over the past seven years called The Dreaming Room, and what I now call a course for heroes, which essentially takes somebody from the beginning and helps them to invent a business and to truly transform the business they invent to create it to get ready for exit. And so the entirety of this new system is what we've launched and taking worldwide and very, very excited about. Fantastic. So is it, is, am I correct in assuming that the dream room kind of came out of the, the book Awakening the Entrepreneur Within? They kind of came hand in hand? Well, actually, Awakening the Entrepreneur Within came out of the dreaming room. Ah. Um, I... I led my very first dreaming room in December of 2005, and um, with a small group, of, and there were about 30 some odd people in that room, and a whole mixture of people, people who owned companies, people who were serial entrepreneurs, people who were just about anything you could imagine, and had no idea what was going to happen in that room. And we said, when we enrolled people, we're going to awaken the true entrepreneur within you. Now, they'd look at me skeptically, but um, everybody who came to that dreaming room had read my e-myth books, were already fans and, and lunatics about e-myth. <laughs> so they took me at my word. And I also said that when we start 
the dreaming room. We're going to start with a blank piece of paper and beginner's mind. So nothing you've done, nothing you intend to do, nothing you plan to do has any relevance to what we're going to do in the dreaming room. We're going to truly, truly have an entrepreneurial experience unlike any experience any of us have ever had. And they would ask me, well, how do you know you can do that? I said, well, we're just going to have to trust I can. (laughs) Um, They paid their money, and we spent two and a half days together. And the outcome of that first dreaming room was profound. It was profound, first of all, because I'd never done that before. I don't do workshops or trainings or whatever. Um, You know, we did what we call now coaching and speaking. So in speaking, you know, just like now I'm speaking at someone. I'm not working with someone. In that very first dreaming room, I worked with every single person in the room. So I had a blank piece of paper, and we gave him a pad, and we gave him some colored um, Sharpies, and we started the process by telling a story. And when I finished the story in about 40 minutes, I then said, okay, guys, let's start dreaming. I'll be back in about 30 minutes. Uh, Let's see what happens. And I walked out. And of course, you can imagine they're looking at each other. (laughs) No idea what in the world. I didn't tell them what to do. I didn't tell them how to do it. I just said, we're going to start dreaming. And that was the end of it. I walked out and I came back about 40 minutes later. And some of them were, you know, diddling in their pads and some of them were having coffee and some of them were looking at the wall and <laughs> so forth and so on. And it was a really, really, really a strange experience. I said, so what happened? Who wants to talk? So what actually happened is, you know, a lot of people were pissed off and I just left them sitting there in the room without direction. And, you know, these are not guys who didn't know anything. I mean, these guys who knew a lot. And yet, it never actually came to me that they were so hungry for direction. Uh, but they were. And so a guy raises his hand and begins to talk. He says, okay, bring your pad up to the front of the room. And so he brought his pad up to the front of the room. And I said, well, let me take a look at it. And I took a look at the what he wrote down in his blank pad and this blank piece of paper and and it began we ended up calling that the hot seat Mm. and during that very first dreaming room every single one of those people brought their pad to the front of the room and then i just went through it and tore it apart and i tore it apart because essentially all they were doing was creating pictures that um, were you know might as well have been uh, standardized. I mean, I could have just as easily given little pictures to paste in their pad, um, <laughs> pictures that other people had drawn, because they had no idea how to dream. Mm. They had no idea what a dream was. And from that very first dreaming room, I did 59 dreaming rooms that I personally led. Somewhere during those 59 dreaming rooms, the book was written. Mm-hmm. Awakening the Entrepreneur Within, How Ordinary People Can Create Extraordinary Companies Without Any Experience to Guide Them. And that book took off. And then I turnkeyed the dreaming room so I could replicate it um, in the hands of ordinary people, what I called dreaming room facilitators. And now the dreaming room is in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Canada, the UK, and we're building it out, building it out, building it out here in the United States to the point where we're going to spread it worldwide. And so our intent is to awaken the entrepreneur worldwide with this process we've created, which I think of as an economic development program as opposed to a business development program based upon the singular idea that it is entrepreneurs who create the world. Mm. And that every single one of us are born um, to create. And that entrepreneurial personality, that guy like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or whomever, 
um, actually lives within every human being on the face of this earth. That's the presumption that I've made. And that all that has to happen is I just got to wake that guy up. Because what has happened for most people on the face of the earth is rather than being taught how to create, they've actually been inhibited or limited by their parents, by their teachers, by their education, by their bosses, because creativity is dangerous. Hmm. What they want us to be is good little kids. What they want us to do is to mind our P's and Q's. What they want us to do instead is to do what everybody does. In Australia, as you know, they call it the tall poppy syndrome. Absolutely. Yeah, so we don't want everybody to be unique. We don't want everybody to find their dream. We want everybody to mind their P's and Q's and to, you know, settle down and be a good little boy and girl. Mm. Well, when people do, and they die. Well, the dreaming room is the counter to that. So I'm saying I don't care who it is, whether it be a small business owner. Now I've worked with more of them than anybody in the face of this earth. Um, you know, they might say, yeah, but I am an entrepreneur. Well, but no, you're not. Well, I am a creator, but unfortunately you're not. Let me demonstrate how, in fact, dysfunctional your business actually is and your people actually are and how little creativity and innovation actually goes on every day in your company. And what would happen if, in fact, it were to go on in your company? Something astonishing would happen. And that's mm. what happens. A couple of questions around that, though, is I think to a certain extent uh, I would assume there would be some people who, who think, oh, okay, you know, the dreaming room is just a business planning type program that I can go through and work with yourself and the coaches on. How is it actually different from a goal setting or a business planning kind of session? Because I know it definitely is a lot different to that, but just to kind of clarify that, because I think a lot of people think, oh, yeah, I've done business planning, I know goal setting. It's completely different Mm. because what you're describing is left brain stuff. Mm. It's all the mental masturbation that everybody does. It's all the mental stuff. It's all the logic stuff. And what I'm suggesting is the dreaming room is exactly the opposite. It's the right brain stuff. It's the intuitive stuff. It's the creative stuff. Uh, I think of it, um, the dreaming room is the jobs effect. I think of Steve Jobs, the, the, the most unlikely person to do what Steve Jobs did, which was exactly the opposite of what that left brain stuff is. Um, Steve Jobs continually took a leap beyond the world as we know it. He set out to do something that nobody would have imagined even necessary to be done. Mm. And in the process of doing that, he invented a completely new world. Absolutely. And so I'm suggesting that that's what we do in the dreaming room. Mm. Uh, What we do in the dreaming room is to stimulate, to inspire the imagination of the people who come dream with us to the point where they begin to ask questions they've never asked before, see opportunities they've never seen before, experience inside of their souls and hearts and imaginations a picture they have never painted before, and be rewarded for it. Mm. So rather than sitting down to write a business plan, which is the most um, tragic thing anyone (laughs) could possibly be invited to do, because it's stupid, because nobody who ever writes a business plan ever actually does it. Mm. What we do instead is we awaken the entrepreneur, the imagineer, as Walt Disney calls it within, the creator within. The creator is going to create something unworldly, unimaginable, un or inconsistent or incongruent with anything he ever thought he might do, and in the process discover a dream. I've got a dream, Martin Luther King said. Well, anybody who's ever listened to that speech, I have a dream, Martin Luther King said, understands the difference between that and writing a business plan. Mm understands the difference between that and um, this is how you do it, understands the difference between that and 
all of the rest of the stuff that's going on in the world. Yeah. It can be a very that's scary thing, though. I think for for a lot of people who kind of you know just want to tell their boss their boss to piss off and and start a business to to pay the mortgage and put the kids through college and have a beach holiday every year, the thought of dreaming big like Steve Jobs can be a very scary thing. Well, of course it can. Of course it can. And of course we say um, we're not going to create a business to uh, so that you can pay the mortgage and put your kids through college. That's a stupid idea. Mm. So please don't bore me with that stupid idea because it's a stupid <laughs> idea. It's a personal dream. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an impersonal dream. Mm. I'm saying look at the world, stupid. Look at the world. It's a disaster. Look at the economy in America. It's a freaking disaster. Look at the 17 to $18 trillion of deficit. Look at the 90-some-odd trillion dollars of unpaid um, liabilities. Yeah. Look at what's going on in the world, and you suddenly realize it's a disaster. And if the world is a disaster, and it is, and by anybody's standards, one can look at it. If you're awake and look at it and see, you suddenly either are called to do something about it or simply going to settle down and die. Mm. So I'm saying if you're just willing to settle down and die, don't come to the dreaming room. Yeah. But if you truly believe the possibility may exist that there's somebody inside of you who you haven't been challenged by yet or challenged yet, then that's what we do in the dreaming room. Dreaming room is tough stuff. The dreaming room is what you might call the U.S. Navy SEALs, <laughs> um, not just a guy who's a grunt on the street. Mm. So if you're satisfied with being a grunt on the street and not really challenging yourself to go beyond that grunt stuff, then don't come dream with us. But hear me, if something's missing in this picture for you, I mean, if something really is missing in your life for you, if you're really, really sick and tired of, in quotes, making a living and believing that's what life is all about, then... And only then come to the dreaming room because the dreaming room is going to truly kick ass and take names. I mean, the dreaming room is going to really challenge you. And what's going to happen somewhere in the middle of the dreaming room is you're going to go, wow, I just discovered America. And what I'm saying is America is a state of mind. Mm -hmm. That in fact, this country was created by entrepreneurs that America was a great enterprise invented by the Imagineer, the, 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 the inventor, and those founders who created America with an idea called the Bill of Rights, with an idea called the Constitution, which in fact created the greatest economic success the world has ever seen. Absolutely. And not only that, but is liberated people to understand its liberation that this is all about. So I say to anybody who's sitting listening to us, you want to be liberated from being stuck in old co, stuck in an old idea, stuck in an unimaginative world that's simply about money, then join us in a world that's about meaning. And then we'll create something that will blow your mind. Yes, you'll do that. I'm saying that everybody can do that. Could not, and that's why we do what we do. I, I couldn't agree more, Michael. Absolutely. So I, I do really encourage people to check out the show notes and, and the amazing resources, at least as an introduction that um, you put together for our audience, which are uh, obviously in the show notes and we'll mention at the end of the show. Two final quick questions, if you don't mind, mate, because I really appreciate your time. I know you've been so busy, so thank you for your, for your time today. It's, it's extremely appreciated by myself and, and all our audience. One question is around you know, the, the changes that you've seen since you know the book came out in 1986 with the, the first book, The E-Myth. Like, obviously, Silicon Valley, you know, which is obviously yeah, – Driven, there's obviously a huge um, movement from our mutual friend Tim Ferriss's, you know, lifestyle design ethos of solo entrepreneurship and things like that. How, how have you seen those changes with the internet um, shift in entrepreneurship and how the, the myth applies there? 
Well, the, the e-myth is evergreen. Mm. That means it's a constant. And it means it will be as true and as real and as valid 50 years from today as it was 100 years ago. But effectively, it doesn't matter about the technology. The technology is simply a mechanism for achieving a specific outcome. The technology is enhanced continuously, changed continuously, transformed continuously, and yet the exact same requirements um, exist for any company, whether it be an online company or an offline company, whether it be a bricks and mortar company, whether it be Amazon.com, whatever it might be, the company needs a form, the company needs a, a picture to emulate, the company needs a process through which to produce the outcomes it intends to produce. Those need to be communicated, whether those are communicated in technology or communicated in hard stuff, whether they're communicated in a piece of paper, in a manual system or an automated system. Ultimately, um, every single entrepreneur must be a systems thinker, and that will be as true a um, hundred years from now as it is today. And so I believe and have justifiably proven, whether we're working with high-tech or low-tech or no-tech companies, that our mindset, the way we think about um, entrepreneurship and um, a dream, a vision, a purpose, and a mission is as relevant to anything and everything anyone would want to do. And the minute an entrepreneur truly understands that and gets that and clears the way for that and the way in which he or she leads and designs and builds and launches and grows whatever they're going to grow, ultimately that company will be what we call a franchise prototype. That means it will be scalable. If it's not scalable, it's forgettable because it ain't going anywhere. Mm. But just because it's technology doesn't mean it's scalable. Some of the worst disasters on the face of this earth have been presumably scalable technology that ultimately was missing everything that was needed inside that company in order for that company to have life. And so the truly vital components of a company, yes, are systems, but those systems are driven by the mindset that formulates that company, that idea. Every company, great or otherwise, is an idea. And that idea has to be able to be articulated, and it has to be articulated clearly and in terms that move and inspire and awaken and teach and train and coach and mentor the people within it and the people without it. Mm. And so that's the design, build, launch, and grow component of the Dreaming Room. And that means that once I have a dream, once I have a vision, once I have a purpose, once I have a mission, once I have a clear picture of what I'm here to set out to do, once I've created the foundation, the platform for what I'm going to invent, then I need to design, build, launch, and grow it as a job, as a practice, as a business, as an enterprise. So in all this work we have done, we have invented a very distinct and very distinguished and very um, replicable model for inventing any kind of business on the face of this earth and have applied it everywhere and in 30 languages and in 145 countries and in every industry you can think of. And I know that will be true a hundred years from now. Hmm. What it look like will be different, but the foundation of it, the platform of it, the idea of it, the lexicon for it will be identically the same. The dream never changes to transform the state of small business worldwide, of all business worldwide, in a way, in fact, that anybody can do. That's the idea in my 
feverish little brain and the thing that I've been pursuing um, for the past 40 years. Yeah, well, it's absolutely been inspiring, and we've definitely used the ethos of the myth in all the businesses that I've uh, had the pleasure of being involved in over the years. One final question, Michael, which is the question we ask every single guest on the show. What's the one question I haven't asked you that I should have? Why do I do this? Ooh, good one. What's the answer? Because it matters. Because I meet every single day, and this is every single day, every single day since we started this, every day with somebody who turns to me and says, you've transformed my life. You have no idea, Michael, the difference you have made in my life. Thank you for that. Now, that might sound like my ego speaking, but it's not. It's my ethos speaking. To know the profound impact of this mindset and to see it alive and growing everywhere I look, that's an amazing, and amazing thing. And it's never been about the money. It's been about the meaning. So that's why I do it, because it's the most important thing I can imagine ever doing. I love it. Love it so much. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Pete. Thank you. So, as I said up front, uh, Mike, Michael made a little joke about have, uh, people that might not have heard about him, but uh, I would hope that Pranikas listeners have, have heard of him and, and found that really, really interesting. Pete, I, I really did. Uh, I, I, almost, I was you know, a little grin on my face because almost the first thing that he talked about was, was the core concept of the E-Myth, this idea of technicians versus entrepreneurs and how a lot of people think that they're entrepreneurs, but actually they are technicians because um, that's where a lot of people come from when they, when they want to start a business. They've been doing the work themselves and then step up. So, um, yeah, that was, that was great to hear. And, and also just, you know, him talking about systems, you know, all those things, as I said before, that we talk about so much. Uh, but what, what really, what really touched me in that was, uh, was his answer to your, your le- now legendary question of fear. Uh, I do, I do love how you get that, that question. It always catches everybody. doesn't matter who they are. We've had some fantastic people on the show and uh, you always catch people out with the question that you should have asked them. And I thought his answer was brilliant. You know, that you didn't, you didn't ask him why, uh, why he did, does what he does, what, why he started, how, why he carries on. And I thought his answer was brilliant, which is because it matters. And that really resonates with me because I think, you know, that, that speaks to why we do things like the Prunercast. Mm, you know, absolutely. we do this because we feel that we can make a difference. We can help entrepreneurs and business people, you know, get on top of their business, on top of their sales and marketing and you know, just, just be better entrepreneurs. Um, so that really resonated with me. Oh, awesome, man. Awesome. That was a great conversation. He's a very, very smart man. And, uh, yeah, really recommend the dreaming room this new project is worth checking out if you're interested in sort of doing it head over to his website and uh, we'll put show like note links sorry links in the show notes uh, where you can check that out and obviously there's plenty of other stuff you know on preneurmarketing.com where the show notes leave you can get all the back catalog of episodes all the other conversations we've had essays articles resources that we've put together over the last sort of five six years there's heaps of stuff on the blog uh, and also, too, you know, if you are interested in checking out Michael's stuff, don't don't forget all his audio books are available on Audible. So check out audibletrial.com forward slash preneurcast. And you can sort of get a copy of Michael's book for free if you are joining Audible for the first time. And it is an awesome book to get you started. If you've not read the E-Myth or any of the E-Myth books, I mean, Michael is a bit of a prolific author. I do recommend starting with the E-Myth and working out from there. Um, but if you've not read it, definitely, definitely go read it. Everybody that I've ever recommended that book to has thanked me for recommending it. And it said that it's changed the way that they see their business. So strongly recommend that you go and try that out. Um, and as Pete says, please do pop over to preneurmarketing.com, uh, see what we're up to. Uh, you know, look at Pete's awesome blog posts, um, and all the other resources that we've got on there, but there is 
literally every single past episode of Preneurcast. Um, and given that we're at episode 152 now, that's quite a lot. Um, you can see the show notes. You can get all the links to everything that we talk about. You can even download um, or listen live to all the past episodes over on Preneurmarketing.com. And as always, on there, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all the other places that we are, please do leave us a comment. Um, as I said earlier, we do we do this show because we believe that we can make a difference, that we can help you guys out. And the best way we can do that is by you letting us know how we're doing and if there's something that you want us to talk about And uh, because we're here for you. Absolutely. All right, guys and girls, we will see you in the next episode. More awesome stuff coming down the pipe very shortly. See you soon. Been enjoying another fine episode of Preneurcast with Pete Williams and Dom Gocher. Make sure to hang out with the boys online at www.preneurmarketing.com or drop them a line via Preneurcast at preneurgroup.com. <laughs>